0: Greetings, friends! Welcome to the Empowered Jewish Living podcast. Shlomo Bucksbaum here. So grateful and so happy and so excited that you're with us for another amazing episode. We have a great guest today. We are about a month away from the holiday of Purim, one of the holiest and happiest days of the entire year, the entire Jewish calendar. I'm getting excited. It's one of my favorite days. And that means on the podcast, we want to spend the next several weeks getting in the zone, preparing ourselves mentally, intentionally for the day of Purim. And therefore, I'm excited to share with you the first of several guests that we'll have that are going to be speaking about the topic of joy from a different angle. I really, I'm really excited about this next month. I think you're going to love the podcast and love these great guests that we're going to have on. Um, And then also we'll, we'll, uh, Intersperse it with some uh, reposts of some previous Purim classes. So stick around, stay with us. Uh, it's really going to be it's going to be a great month. My guest today is a really, really incredible Jew by the name of David Sachs. He is an Emmy and Golden Globe award-winning comedy writer, but he's also a brilliant Torah scholar, a a a Kabbalist, a spiritual teacher, um, and uh, I. I've been listening to some of his teachings, and I was really inspired by him, and I think that you will be as well. He gives a weekly Torah podcast called Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World, and he's spoken to enthusiastic crowds opening the hearts of people across the U.S., Europe, Israel, and South Africa. His topics range from the meaning of life to Hollywood's impact on the world to achieving happiness. Born and raised in New York City, David Sachs attended Harvard College, graduating with a degree in government. While there he began his comedy writing career for the school's humor magazine, The Harvard Lampoon. Upon graduating, David moved to Los Angeles and began writing for television. Among the shows he's worked for are The Simpsons, where he won an Emmy Award, and Third Rock from the Sun, for which he won a Golden Globe Award, Malcolm in the Middle, and Final Space on Adult Swim. David is the co-founder and senior lecturer of The Happy Minion of Los Angeles. David is married and raises his family in Beverly Hills, California. So yeah, we discuss so many, so many different topics on this podcast, comedy, Hollywood laughter. We discuss uh, his teacher, Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, uh, and uh, so much. There's so he, has, he gives over so much of his own personal story, but also so much wisdom. So I think you're really going to enjoy. Uh, take a moment now before you begin listening, while you're listening, to click, to subscribe to the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, And um, also connect with me on the various social medias. I love connecting uh, with all of the podcast listeners. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, so I I hope we could connect there. And also check out my website, rabbishlomo.com. There's more classes posted there and uh, some other other good stuff. So I hope you'll check that out. I hope that you'll subscribe, share the podcast, and uh, most importantly, enjoy the podcast. So here we go. This is the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast, where we explore the beauty of Judaism, the depth of Jewish wisdom, and how to live a more empowered life. Hey, David, welcome to the Empowered Jewish Living Podcast. How are you
1: doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it
0: good I'm so excited to have you, and I was thinking before the podcast that like I feel just from listening to your podcast the last couple of weeks the last couple of months and hearing from you i you know i like I feel like I somewhat know you already, but then I realized I've been watching The Simpsons since I'm a kid, so I feel like I really have been like getting your messages <laughs> you know for many years
1: yeah i mean the 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 difference between knowing me through the the, the podcast and knowing me through the uh the Simpsons is—it's quite a world of difference. I—I uh, I, I would say that uh, if you watch The Simpsons a lot, you, you're going to know The Simpsons a lot. But I—I I don't know how much of me is in that show, honestly.
0: Got it, got it. But what I do like, and I want to quote over here from the homepage of your website where you write. You say, I write and produce for TV, including shows like The Simpsons. I went to Harvard. I've even won an Emmy Award and a Golden Globe Award. I love making cool TV shows, but I also have another side where I love exploring the fantastically mysterious beauty of creation, seeing it through the lens of spirituality, quantum physics, psychology, storytelling, and art. Every word of that introduction speaks to me so i just want to because I'm, I'm i'm like fascinated by all of those things so i just want to hear remind
1: me you remind me of something i heard uh rabbi beryl wine say one time which was there was a speaker and um the person introducing him gave this very very long introduction and the speaker finally got up and said i can't wait to hear what i have to say <laughs> well all right well we,
0: we all can't we all can't I, I would love to, I'm excited to hear what you have to say as you are. So tell me a little bit, though, like, how do these worlds, how do they cross paths, the the writing for these TV shows, I know currently, you're working on um, one that has the final space, I think, and another animated uh, series, how does that go together with the beautiful, I've been listening to your podcast, seeing your classes, the beautiful tour that you share, can you share with me with the listeners, a little bit about your life, your mission and kind of how it all fits together?
1: Well, in terms of how it all fits together, I mean, from the from the Torah's perspective, just we as a people, like if you just wanted to sort of like boil down our message, uh, we say all that exists is God, and that's that's a very dramatic, powerful declaration. not only that, but, but even deeper than that, we say that really basically the whole world is basically just a conversation that God is having with himself. So do we exist? We, we definitely exist. Are we real? We're real. But everything is just emanations of Hashem. And so when you have that sort of uh, broad and deeply true perspective basically everything fits into everything you know there are no contradictions ultimately so 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 in other words how does teaching Torah and writing comedy how do they fit together well everything is included within the oneness of Hashem so so the our job is basically just in the different aspects of our life Um, not to be internal contradictions. So meaning to say that if if everything is already part of God, that where the contradictions come in is when part of you is connecting to that oneness and part of you is either not connecting or running away from that oneness. And so that's really the um, the battleground for wholeness, is not within God himself, because that already is complete. It's within ourselves and, and finding God's oneness within our understanding of creation.
0: Mm. I love that. Was teaching Torah, was that something that you were always doing? Or was that a, a more of a, of, a, of a recent calling? Actually, which one came first? Was it the teaching? Or was it the writing?
1: Yeah, they both came late. Um, the writing came before the teaching, and I didn't grow up in a uh, religiously observant family. My my family was very uh, strongly Jewish and proudly Jewish, and, and I did receive, um, you know, a, a an education, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a Torah education um, spiritually speaking. Uh, and and so once I started learning Torah really in seriousness. I started keeping Shabbos when I was 24. So when I started like learning every day, which I've done since then. So um, at a certain point, like people just like heard me just sharing things with them at a Starbucks or whatever it is and or at a Shabbos table. And then more and more people just started inviting me to speak different places and asking me to give classes. So so the, the teaching really grew out of the learning and 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 the love of Torah, and the love of Hashem.
0: Well, wow. did you find that? I don't. Did you find that as a writer, as someone who was involved in Hollywood? And I know, as a writer, you're a little bit more behind the scenes. You're not there. I guess at the performance level of things, but did you find that like being in that space kind of helped you I'm, I'm guessing as a writer. You probably need to especially a comedy writer, you probably need to be very in tune with what speaks to people how to capture people's attention what moves people. Uh, so did you feel like those two things kind of complemented each other, you were able to resonate or reach people in a more deep way because of your writing career.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great observation. And and I, I hadn't really thought about it since until you just brought it up. But yeah, I, I I do think that it that does accurately describe it because it's sort of like when you're when you're writing something for an audience, which you know I've been doing professionally. Um you can I've done it before live audiences for years and years. Lately I've been doing animation, so that's not before a live audience, but but there's that immediacy you you write a line or a joke and the audience either laughs or they they don't laugh so so you're you're keenly aware of the um the people's reactions and and um as it should be that's that's proper entertainment like you you know um people are supposed to respond and so it just seemed even without thinking about it just seemed natural that if i'm if i'm going to share torah um it should be Torah that elicits a, a strong reaction. And, and I you know I was so privileged to have as a Rebbe, uh, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach. I grew up um, across the street from his little shul, which used to belong to his father, um, on 79th Street and West End Avenue. I could actually see the shul outside my kitchen window from where I grew up. And I started going there when I was 14, and the Torah that Reb Shlomo shared was very emotional Torah. It wasn't just, it was very intellectual too, but it blended the mind and the heart. And that sort of like set a very high bar for what I felt like was appropriate to share. Reb Shlomo used to talk about a lot, a, a distinction. Um, he would call, he would, he, would, he would refer to tree of knowledge Torahs and Tree of Life Torahs. And I heard him say one time that, what's the difference between a rabbi and a rebbe? He said, a rabbi tells you something you didn't know before. He said, a rebbe connects you to the deepest part of yourself. So there's this idea Mm -hmm. of just a Tree of Knowledge Torah, meaning to say, when when he would use that phrase, he wouldn't mean it in a positive way. Um, of course, eating from the tree of knowledge, you know, was, you know, caused a lot of problems. But tree of knowledge Torah is basically just when someone is standing up there imparting information. Mm-hmm. Like Torah is more than information. Torah is life. Torah is life. We say Torah chayim The Torah is a Torah of life. And so it seems to me that when someone gives over Torah, They have to be communicating information to you in a way that you realize without this information, I can't live. And the only way you're going to reach that conclusion is if it resonates deeply with you on an emotional level and an intellectual level.
0: Wow. Wow. There's so much over there. There's so much that I want to unpack. It's it's like hard to know where to start, but I guess by the time this podcast is going to be posted, it's probably already going to be in the month of Adar. So it's a month of joy and certainly laughter is a part of joy. You know, you're a, uh, a comedy writer. Um, just as a side, all of the Krusty the Clown uh, episodes of The Simpsons, you know, really Herschel Krustovsky. Did you have anything to do with that? Just- Zero.
1: <laughs> Zero. That was uh, that first one uh, was Jay Kogan and Wally Walidarsky. So I always want to make sure to give them credit. They came up with that character. And uh, but I the closest I have in terms of any connection to that is I have a a production cell, a beautiful color production cell of, of Krusty and his his father, who was a Hasidic rabbi, yeah, embracing after you know they had been sort of um, you know, alienated from each other. Uh, and in between the hug, they're about to you know fully embrace. You can see. Bart and Lisa. So that's that uh that hangs in 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 the room of my house where I have my shas and and a lot of my Torah uh, <laughs> books and things like that. And Got so it. Uh, so I'm I'm very fond of it. But uh that so your I'm, character. I'm, well anyway, yeah, you'll forgive me for okay. jumping
0: from Ravish Shlomo Kabach to Krusty yeah. the Clown. But I guess my question is when you speak about, you know, really touching people very, very deeply, you know, I guess like there's all sorts of genres. And I guess every genre within, within writing of books or writing movies or or t- TV episodes, every genre, I guess, it really taps into another emotion. Um, uh, You know, people, I guess, want to be sad, or they want to be, they want to be afraid. For me, I love comedy. We are very, my whole family, we're a big con, we just love to sit around and laugh. There is something special, there's something sweet about it. What role do you see within Jewish tradition, that comedy, that laughter, you know, what 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 role does it take on? Is it a part, would you say that there is something spiritual about laughter, spiritual about comedy? Uh, is it just kind of like a vehicle to, to get to some place? Or, or is there something that is unique and holy about that specific emotion?
1: You know, this sort of kind of just came to me. Um, but I think it's true. And I, I think it would be a, a, a deep answer to, uh, to this question of what is, the, what is the holiness of laughter, essentially? You see, the Ari HaKodesh, um, our, you know, maybe our greatest uh, Kabbalist or greatest mystic, he, he said about himself that all the levels um, of, of, of holiness that he was able to, to reach was really only through simcha meaning joy or happiness. So, so from there, you see that, that joy in Torah is, is much more than just being in a good mood. Um, it would include that, certainly, but, but it's not restricted to that. What, what joy really does, what laughter really does, is it expands the consciousness. And, and how so? Because let's just talk about what a, um, a joke is, all right? A joke on its most kind of like elemental structure is this construct where you think something is going one way and then it goes another way, extremely quickly, extremely quickly, so fast that the only reaction is laughter. Because you thought it was one thing, and then you realize it's something completely different, and then you laugh. And so the idea of laughter, the sages link that with the time of the redemption. They say that when Mashiach comes, our mouths will be full of laughter, because because basically, just to put all these thoughts together right now, what laughter is, is basically... Seeing through the mask of this world. The world looks like it's one way. The world looks like it's filled with um, emptiness and lies and disaster and hardship and all sorts of things. But when you laugh, you basically raise yourself up through, through the expansion of your consciousness. And you realize that what you thought was there is actually something else, that God was here the entire time, that he was loving us, that he was close to us the entire time. And so laughter is a miniature of the whole process of of the removal of all the veils blocking um, the, the revelation and the presence of God. And so when you laugh, they all go away, and you realize that God is right here and always was here the whole time.
0: Wow. it's like it's like you, people say about about uh, Isaac, about Yitzchak. A lot, a lot of people, listeners, might not be aware that of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So the name Isaac comes from the Hebrew word Yitzchak. Yitzchak means laughter, and um, uh, one of the one of the the, the most pronounced moments of Isaac's life, of Yitzchak's life, was that he came, you know, inches away, moments away from death. And according to many of the Kabbalistic texts, he actually had somewhat of of a life renewal, you know, perhaps in some capacity his soul left the world and he came back. And there is almost that hint within his name, Yitzchak, which means laughter. It doesn't seem like such a funny guy where you don't, you don't hear him crack any jokes. But yet his whole life, the fact he was never supposed to be born in the first place. And then he comes to this near-death experience and comes back to life. You know, he's, he really characterizes what it means, what laughter is, like you're saying, you know, that, that momentary change when you thought disaster is about to happen. And suddenly, you know, there's celebration, suddenly there's renewal. So that is beautiful. That is beautiful. How much of that actually plays a role in like your process of writing? You know, do you just kind of sit, I'm just curious to know like the process because it's hard to like, you know, be funny on the spot, you know, like one, two, three at 12 o'clock today, David, you're gonna have to sit down and write a funny, like how how does the process work and how much of the ideas that you just shared with me, do you actually take in with you to the writing room?
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that, that it was probably the the, the first lesson, or one of the first things I ever remember, the first head writer on, a, on my first TV show ever saying to me, um, may have been my first day working professionally. And he, he said that what you write has to make you laugh, because if it doesn't make you laugh, then why should it make anyone else laugh? And I always remember that. And, and the truth is, is that I'll write and rewrite a line, like if it's meant to be a joke, for sometimes hours. Um, until when I read it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> and, and it's not even like I'm waiting to laugh. It's just, it will be just a very instinctive, intuitive thing. Like I don't even think about it anymore. I just keep on rewriting it till when I read it, I laugh. And then I know it's good. And then I can go on. Or mm-hmm. I, if it's not good, at least I know I've done my, the best I can do.
0: You know, I always love, you know, even when I was a student. So I used to like in camp and things like I used to be the guy to write, you know, the comedy skits. And, you know, even now, from time to time, I'll get that opportunity. Of, you know, I mean, I guess even in my speech writing, I guess, you know, I try to I, I try to be funny. I don't know. I, I wonder if the listeners on this podcast think I'm funny. I don't know. I don't make too many jokes here, but in, in speeches, you know, we try to be fun, entertaining. And then I know like there's always that moment when like you're sitting around trying to you know write a comedy skit and you know I guess when you're sort of in like that vibe and everyone's there and you're trying to be funny and everyone's kind of sits around laughing and then like you come to this realization like we're so in the zone right now but if we actually take this onto stage like nobody will find this funny except you know you're you're kind of there do you ever find that you know that you're just like you're there like I think this is really funny, but then when you put it out into the world, you know, you, when you finally present this, someone they're like, "David, did you really think that was funny?"
1: Yeah, well, you know, humor is very subjective, and also there's so many, in terms of a production, like presenting it before the audience. There, there's so many stages. Um, something could be funny on the page and 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 make everyone laugh, and then you have the the cast read through where you know, the, the script is done and everyone, the cast sits around and reads it and sometimes things will be funny on the page and they'll be funny at the read-through or they won't be funny on the page but they will be funny at the read-through and then you have the rehearsal and sometimes things that were funny on the page and funny at the read-through are not funny when they stand up and they're, you know, they're walking around the set. Um, sometimes the reverse happens. Sometimes something that wasn't funny before becomes funny
0: that's interesting
1: but I I so there are all sorts of different stages um, but I found that I've been on shows where um, things that I've written or other people have written I've watched them become progressively less funny as you go <laughs> through the process and other shows where I've watched things become progressively more funny as you go through the process and I would say probably the best example of that in my experience was when I wrote for the show called Third Rock from the Sun those actors were so gifted and they found so many funny things to do that they just made everything brilliant you know
0: Mm -hmm. there have been there's definitely a history of a lot of Jews a lot of funny Jews and a lot of Jews in Hollywood and a lot of Jews in comedy Why,
1: why do you think that is well I mean I don't know if this is my thought or if I heard someone else say it, but I think it's true. I think that there's um, um, a coping mechanism that uh, humor plays. And if you can find sort of the absurdity in, in, in your circumstances, if they're difficult for whatever reason, that that brings light and kind of helps to relieve um, darkness or suffering or things like that. And so... You know, we as a people have been so oppressed that it does make sense just as a coping mechanism in terms of our sort of national personality, that a, a certain humor would develop. Because, again, as we were saying earlier, humor allows you to see through the darkness and show that really, it's really something other than you think.
0: Mm. Wow. So there is. I, I know you started saying it's a it's a coping mechanism, and I think a co- When when I when I when you said coping mechanism, I kind of thought you know almost like a, a band aid. You know, like. I'm really in so much pain, but let me just laugh on the outside. But I think what you're saying, as you continue, is something much deeper, and that is that maybe you know because you know a Jew, and we're so hopefully you know even even a Jew who's not necessarily connected to Torah and mitzvos, but you know their neshama is awake and their neshama is alive and they're tapped in to this idea that you're sharing, and that is you know, that 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 through all of the pain, all of the pain is in its own way. A revelation of God, a revelation of godliness. You know, through all the pain, our souls are revealed, and maybe in that sense, there is something very holy and beautiful that shines through the Jew. That they're that they're connected to that. You know, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a famous Gomorrah about um, that Eliyahu's going through the marketplace, and someone asks him, you know, who in this crowd uh, is going to the next world? Who who has a share in Olam and of all the people in this marketplace, uh, Eliyahu points out this person who was basically a comedian. And you know, I'm sure he had other um, righteous attributes, the person Eliyahu pointed out, but it, it seems like the Gomorrah wants to stress that, that the ability to help people laugh which is helps people cope with the hardships of this world um is is a genuinely holy trait um if it's used properly
0: yeah do you ever think about it's is that ever an a, a thought that you bring in with you maybe it always is like when you're sitting down to create to create these shows do you ever think about that like like almost, you know, like they say before you do a mitzvah. So you like, you know, you set your intention, like, you know, I'm getting set to fulfill this mitzvah. Do you ever think about that? Like in your own work, like I'm actually, I'm bringing joy to people. I'm making them smile. I'm making them laugh. You know, do you have those holy intentions? And I know you started out your first answer. You said that, you know, it's all, they're, they're all different facets of the oneness of God in your life. How much are you able to like actually feel that when you're there at work?
1: Um, you know, mostly when I'm at work, I'm really kind of, for the most part, interpersonally, I try to bring light to all of my interactions with my different coworkers and things like that. But, um, you know, I would say uh, that's something I should think more about. And, and it's, it's a good idea to have that intention before I start writing. Um, for the most part, I'm kind of just focused on the job, honestly. But it's, a, it's certainly a good idea to to have that in mind before i start that that, that would i'm sure be a, a a blessing for for the work
0: yeah um i want to ask you also because you you mentioned this before um but you mentioned your relationship as a young man with Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. I would love to hear from you just about your relationship with as a a student with Rabbi Shlomo growing up, a little bit more about what you learned from him that you kind of take with you throughout your life.
1: Yeah, well, he was, you know, next to my parents was probably the the most influential person in my life. And um, like I said, I started going to shul when I was 14 years old and I grew up in a, a reform uh, Jewish family in terms of, you know, you know, the the synagogue that we went to. Um, and then my parents sent me to Camp Ramah, which was, I guess, a conservative camp. And then I started going to this sort of neo Hasidic shul, you know, uh, and and that's that was really life changing for me. Um, and Rip Shlomo really brought me to Torah. He was the one who Who inspired me to want to keep shabbos and to want to keep the mitzvahs and 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 to uh live the life that i'm living today so and and he did that in so many different ways um one one way was just through the phenomenal depth of the the torah that he taught i mean so many people know him as a musician um i had a a slightly different relationship with him because you know, I just knew him as a rabbi across the street from my house. And I was just a little kid. And and I didn't know, you know, I didn't know, like, anything about the Jewish world or, or of its different levels of observances and different communities and things like that. And so um, most people knew him as a, a singer. And I knew him as a shul rabbi, which was a very <laughs> different perspective of him like a very probably a tiny number of people sort of had that kind of you know primary relationship with him and um and also through the stories that he told about that said the, the holy righteous uh uh people um that uh, were so privileged to to continue to learn from and be inspired by and these stories were just absolutely Transformative because they awakened in me the this this connection that you can that that you can have this incredible relationship with God and that these stories like reveal that really at the center of every person is the desire to just to be so attached in the most loving um, beautiful relationship with God who's who's so close and And then, just to see him in action, just to see uh, how how much love and respect he had for everyone, especially people who were in in the category that you could really call the downtrodden. Um, my mother tells a story that uh, after he was nifter after he he left this world, there was a a black homeless person who used to kind of um kind of hang out on on, 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 on the street uh, across from where we lived and his name was Steve and it's like his one eye was kind of shut and I don't know what was going on there but you know he was like basically this person living on the streets and you know my mother was was very special and she would always make sure to give him honor and to say hello to him when she passed him and one time she passed him and he was so so sad. And she said, what's the matter, Steve? And he said, he said, didn't you hear? He said, my rabbi died. Wow. So, you know, anyone who kn- knew Reb Shlomo knew that, that he was really on the side of the destitute and was giving just people who you know who who no one would give a chance to. Like, the most coveted, the most honor. Uh, and and that was amazing. I mean, there's so much to say about him, but but he was an incredible, incredible, incredible role model.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering how often was he there cuz he was I mean Shlomo had multiple he had, he had his place I, I don't exactly know what years we're talking about but I know that he had his place in San Francisco I know he was traveling a lot for concerts at some point I guess San Francisco moved to to Israel to the moshav I don't know if that was if those overlapped yeah, the same the, time
1: the early 70s that was the early 70s Yeah, had the, the there was a first love, love a first house of love and prayer and by the way one of my favorite uh, lines is they asked him why did you why did you call it the house of love and prayer? And he said, if I called it Temple Beth Israel, no one would have showed up. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. uh, and then, and then there was a second house of love and prayer mm-hmm. and it was the second house of love and prayer that moved and became Modiin got it in, in Israel. So that was kind of the history of that. That was during the early 70s. And um, um, I, I knew him like I started going there in, I think, 1977
0: to Manhattan, in, to the shulman in,
1: in Manhattan when I was 14. And he was all, and most of the time, he, you're, you're absolutely right. He was not there because he mm. was traveling all around the world all the time. And it was always like incredibly special whenever he was there, you know.
0: Yeah, but it does seem, and I, I don't know that much about the Kalbach Schule in Manhattan, I know a little bit more about the House of Love and Prayer because I've read about it, it does seem like he did have a way of empowering people to feel like, that. I mean, I think the House of Love and Prayer, I think, was run very much by the people who, who lived there, and I think that he did, he empowered people to become teachers and to take responsibility for, you know, his multiple
1: different projects. No, did, did you observe that as well? Very much so. And you know one of the, one of the things that that I saw him do, and it was so uh, effective with me in terms of my you know taking on Shabbos and mitzvahs and 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 you know all the rest, is that he never told anyone to do anything. You know, it was really something. What he would do is he would inspire you. So that you would want to do it yourself, and that was really amazing. Because the truth is, is that anyone who's kind of gone through the process, like you know, a lot of people they go to someone's Shabbos table, say, and you know, the 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 atmosphere of Shabbos is so holy, and and just everything about it, and the so often the host family is so inspiring and they, they, they see the children and every every aspect of it is just so wonderful and and they want to they want that in their life and then they're shocked to find out there's 613 commandments <laughs> it's like what what are you doing to me it's like i just wanted to have some soup you know right, what i mean right know like, little child you know, like, yeah you know what I mean? and it and you know the the truth is why first of all, let me explain that. Why why is that the case? What what is going on? Why are there so many myths? Because um, you know, a lot of people like start to think all sorts of crazy thoughts, like the, the rabbis are control freaks. Like, like what, what is going on exactly? And and the truth is, is that if God fills all of creation as he does, that means there has to be a holy way to do everything. There has to be, there has to be. And I remember between the time when I first started going to Rabbi Shlomo Shul when I was 14 and the time when I started keeping Shabbos when I was 24, you know, there were, there were different things that I was doing, but, but not, you know, not so much really. But I remember someone taught me the Torah way of putting on your socks and shoes. And just in case any of your listeners don't know, um, I'll share it with you, which is you put your on your right sock, and then your left sock, and then your right shoe, and then your left shoe, and then you tie your left shoe, and then you tie your right shoe. So by the tying, it, it reverses. And, and I remember that I wasn't doing a whole lot during that period, but I was putting my socks and shoes on in a Torah way. Mm. <laughs> and I remember after I learned that, I was so happy just to know that. and and so so you can react to a teaching like that, two different ways. You can say, "Oh, there's even a they're even legislating how we put on our socks and shoes. Like uh, you can react that way, or you can say something which I think is actually truer to what Torah is which is, that's so beautiful. You mean I can even put on my socks and shoes in a holy way? Because God is everywhere at every time in everything? And the answer is yes. And, and that's the reason why there's so many mitzvahs. It's because, because if the Torah and if Hashem is everywhere and in everything, there has to be a way to absolutely do everything in a way where you can elevate it and sanctify it. And so um so the thing is though that that as you learn more you realize there's a lot to do and you realize that there's a lot to learn and and at a certain point if you're really going to go through the process you have to really want to do it you have to understand that this is real and it's absolutely one of the reasons why god created the world and god created you. And you have to want to do it. And if, it, if there's someone who's making you do it, then it's tough. It's tough. It really is. And, and so just to finish the point, Reb Shlomo didn't tell you to do anything. He, he inspired you so that you wanted to do it. And then once you really want to do it, then it's sustainable. And it only grows deeper and more beautiful.
0: Wow, that is such a powerful point. I, I have to just go back for a second to the to the shoes, the putting on the shoes, the right and left thing, because I I, re- I just wanna wanna echo that point for a moment. I think it's such a such a powerful point. Uh, several months back, in one of the trailers for one of the Netflix pieces, which made the Orthodox community, you know, look bad. Well, you know what? What what one of the several pieces that Netflix put out? I don't know. Do you watch those, by the way, Dave? You watch those Netflix? No, I, I
1: don't have any patience for those.
0: All right. Well, we'll talk about them maybe a little bit more in a moment. But in in the trailer for one of them, the woman who is the star of the show. So in the, in the scene, she's in her car, and and she's with a non she's with someone who's not not Jewish, non Jewish um, business partner. And he asks her, I don't even know how it comes up, but he says, "Are, are there Torah, does, does Judaism or are there Torah rules for how to have sex? And she responds in a very kind of demeaning way. And she says, the Torah tells you how to put on your shoes. You, you think they're not going to have rules for how to have sex? It was such a demeaning line. And I, the way you just said it was, so, it was so beautiful because so many people who are searching spiritually, who their journey might take them to the Far East, and they might find themselves in a Zen, you know, Buddhist community. And they'll look at how much detail there is within their practice, or any culture, any culture for that matter. You know, if you go to any well-cultured community, and the more cultured they are, you see the more detail that there is. I remember once going to Nicaragua, leading a group, and we went to a cigar factory. And every single detail, I made a joke at the end, you know, I was holding a cigar. So I held it, you can't, the listeners can't see, but I held it in a certain way. And they said, Oh, you're holding the cigar like a gangster. Sophisticated people, they hold the cigar like this. And just how you held the cigar Attested to like how you what you associated with what community you were part of. And I remember on the drive back, because so I was an educator on the trip. They're like, OK, you know, Rabbi, say something inspirational. I'm thinking like, what can I say inspirational about a cigar factory? And then it hit me. It hit me that like the beauty of any system is how it can really weave its way into the details. And when you can make putting your shoes on into a into a, a meditation, it really speaks to the absolute beauty. That there is within within Judaism so I, I really I appreciate that and I appreciate you sharing that that's a great point
1: you know within sort of um, mystical holy Jewish thought this dimension that we inhabit is called olam Hasiah. and that that means and that's translated in English as the world of action so we live in the world of action and I think that that's an important Thing for people to know about Judaism, like when they, when they understand that there are all these mitzvot, which 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 um, uh, ask us to 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 physicalize um, our intentions, to actually do an act, and and we wonder because so much of um, kind of the bias uh, in in Western society is toward um, sincerity and, uh, and, and what's in your heart. And, and that is beautiful, but that's just part of it. Because this kind of goes back to what I was saying when we, when we first started, is that God is one. There's oneness in everything. But the primary separation, the primary contradiction exists within us between the separation between our minds and our hearts, or between our souls and our bodies. The, the rabbis say that who is a righteous person? It's someone whose inner self is reflected through their actions. And, and the, the visualization that they give you is the aron Kodesh, the holy ark was gold on the inside and gold on the outside. So in other words, like your soul is gold on the inside. That's true. But then you want that gold on the inside to be reflected through your actions so that your actions are gold on the outside, Mm. so that there's unity and there's not a contradiction. And that's why there's such an emphasis on deeds in Judaism, because basically we're trying to make that breakthrough and to shine that light of our souls, which is an aspect of God out into the world so that the whole world shines with the oneness of
0: God. Wow. Tell me this, you've you've mentioned a few times that you got involved with Rav Shlomo, you sort of discovered that at age 14, but you were 24, and it seems like you sort of have that line in your head, that that bookmark in your life, that it was at age 24, that you really became fully observant of Torah and Mitzvot. Was there something at that stage in your life that, you, uh, were you hesitant up until then and something happened then that kind of pushed you over the
1: edge well it was it was a combination of things um one is uh i was overwhelmingly grateful to god um so many positive things were going on in my life um i had set all sorts of goals for myself and um i was blessed to see like you know, many of them uh, fulfilled. Uh, I really wanted to go to Harvard. I I, I got in, um, which, you know, was amazing because my grades were not great. You know, there was something semi-supernatural about that. (laughs) Um, uh, I I wanted to write for Hollywood. I got my first job on on the staff of an HBO show when I was 21. Like right right out of college, I, I began my career as a, as a Hollywood writer. Um, so many wonderful things were happening. My, my parents, my family, my friends. Um, and I wanted to say thank you to God. I wanted to, 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 to show my appreciation. And I thought one, one way I could do that would be to start keeping Shabbos. And so that, that was kind of one level that was going on. Another level that was going on was that I really lived a full and crazy life, you know, just doing all sorts of like, you know, crazy things. You know, my my idea of a good time was okay. What's going to kill me? I need to take <laughs> one step back from there.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> and and so that was my idea of fun. And uh, at a at a certain point it seemed to me that to live life to its fullest involved a little bit more than that, you know, I mean, I I felt like I had sort of done a lot of that stuff, and that ultimately, if the soul really does live on after the body, and I, I certainly believe that, and I think many people who aren't Don't keep Shabbos. Don't you know? Don't do anything like that, sir. You know, like if you say to a lot of people, "Do you believe in God?" That's a very complicated question for a lot of people. But if you if you ask them, "Do you think you have a soul?" I think for a lot of people, that's a much easier question to answer, and they'll say, "Absolutely, I have a soul." But what is your soul? Your soul is just an aspect of God, right? So so if the soul lives on, and the soul is eternal then that means that really the real playing field is actually after we leave this world. You know, as much as we should all be blessed with long and healthy lives to 120, it's like, it's, it's the snap of a finger compared to eternity. Yeah. And so it seems to me that, that if one really wants to make the most out of life, one should be thinking about you know the the, the 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 grandest aspect of their own life, which is really not life within a body. You know, the, all there is is life. We we really don't believe in death. I mean, there is, you know, there is the idea of the soul leaving the body and leaving the body behind, but but the soul lives on. And here here's a point that I think is important to make that a lot of people don't know. Even you know, you know, relatively educated people don't know. And I learned this from Rabbi Ari Kaplan. And he compared the soul and the body to a computer, to software and hardware. So let's say your laptop is the hardware. But really, what you're most interested in is all the information on your computer, right? All your files and everything like that. That's that's all your information. That's what's important. And you can take a flash drive And you can remove all of that information from the hardware. And then it remains intact outside the body, if you will. Mm -hmm. So when the point that he was making, which I think is just an essential point, is that when our souls leave our bodies, our souls leave with all of the information of who we are and our identity. So that after our souls leave our body, we remain us. That's a dramatic thought. See, because many spiritual people think that, yes, you have a soul, yes, and the soul leaves the body, and then you disappear into the oneness of God. So, So you don't exist anymore. But that's actually not what Judaism says. Judaism says you continue to exist as you. So when we talk about immortality, while it's true, one sheds the body, you really do live forever. So if that's the case, one of my thoughts was, well, I got to get my forever right.
0: Wow. I love that. I got to get my forever right. That's it. Was that was that hard because now you're you're going you're entering into hollywood which i guess is not necessarily known as the most spiritual place uh you know many people are very afraid to enter into that space because you know it can pull a person into a much more material uh, way of life and you're kind of going on on a spiritual journey in your life simultaneous to entering into hollywood what was that like and did you find a lot of um, contradictions or challenges or obstacles, um, becoming embracing more of an observant spiritual life while also trying to make it in Hollywood.
1: Well, when I when I was twenty four and I was on this show, I uh, I told my bosses that I want to start keeping Shabbos, which would mean me not being there on, on Friday evenings, which I didn't realize was a kind of the main rewrite night of the week. I didn't, I didn't know it at the time that I was asking them. Uh, and, and they threatened to fire me, and, and they told me that I'd never work in television again if, wow. if I went through this. That's, that's what my manager told me um, at the time. And I, I kind of felt like nothing bad was going to happen from keeping Shabbos. I just, I just kind of felt that way. Even if I had to change... Careers And And it worked out. If you know, I, I gave this talk, it's online. Uh, I think if you type in David Sachs S-A-C-K-S, Sojourns in Hollywood," that's what they called it. It was a, a talk I gave uh, at the Sinai Indaba conference in South Africa. I kind of tell the story at length. It's a much longer story. But, but the point is is that, yeah, there, there came that moment where I had to sort of manifest. And I wouldn't even say choose. I mean, you could say choose. But I didn't know that I wasn't able to, that I wasn't going to be able to continue to do both. And actually, as the story turned out, I was able to continue to do both. But there came that moment where I I had to manifest. I had to get rid of that contradiction within myself if I believe these things, then then I had to be those things to the best of my ability anyway. And so, um, yeah, that was a a major turning point in my life and really one of the proudest moments of my life. Um, I don't know if um, any of your listeners can remember being in Mm -hmm. probably in high school or something like that, where you look through a magnifying Uh, glass or a, uh, you know, what do they call those things where microscope, Microscope. where you look through a microscope, and you kind of turn the dial, and something comes in more focus and more focus, and that at a certain point, you turn it and go, ah, it's almost like a visceral response, you go, ah, now it's in focus. And then sometimes you even turn it one more time and you go, ah, now it's really in focus. And I felt like when I went through that kind of test, that at least for that one moment in my life, I was able to taste what it was like to really be in focus for my, my soul and my body and my life and my thoughts and my actions. Like to really truly be in focus in harmony with each other.
0: Wow, and you've you've been able to carry that now through your career. Again, I don't even know what the environment is like. So, and you know, again, sometimes I wonder. You know, I know that it's very. I know people. I don't know, you know people like to say, oh, you know, in Hollywood, they're. They're shallow. They're into their looks. And, you know, people do like to kind of hate on on that. You know, they're all really, they're just into their money. They're just, I don't know. I don't, I wonder if that's true to me. I kind of, I don't know. I still want to hold on to the belief that people that are artists, you know, do, are in tune with um with you know that they are they're trying to make a difference in the world through their art they are trying to share a message they are trying to deliver something to to people but have you found overall that being in hollywood has been a struggle for you as an observant you or have you been able to be you know hold on to your values strong and and find that that people not only respect it but that they can that they absorb it they that it, it it jives with them
1: yeah, you know, I'm sure everyone's experience is different, and you know, as as much as Hollywood is a community of artists, um, remember, as, as someone told me one time, we say show business. In other words, part of it is the show, some of it is the artistry, but a lot of it is the business as well, and it all comes together. So for every artist, there are executives and agents and lawyers and managers, and you know, there's so there are. It's, a, it's, it's, it's quite a mix of people. It's very much a, a an industry, as opposed to sort of some kind of bohemian enclave where it's just people, you know, painting and- you know, <laughs> That's the way I like to think of it, but okay. things like that and, right. and prancing around. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, 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 yeah, it is, uh, it is an industry. And um, in, in that way, it's probably almost like any other industry. But in terms of me personally, uh, I, you know, I kind of kind of just try to stay focused and, and uh, you know, the, the best thing for that is just daily Torah study. I, I, I have to just recommend that to, you know, to everyone, even if you're literally learning 30 seconds a day. And there are all sorts of books, which are collections of one or two line Torahs. Um, uh, A rabbi who I love, uh, who I've been privileged to become friends with, Rabbi Tzvi Freeman of Chabad, Um, he has a wonderful book called uh, Bringing Heaven Down to Earth, 365 Meditations of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Hmm. I highly recommend people buying that book. They're very short thoughts, which are very, very deep. And literally, you read one of those a day, or you you pick up any 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 book, and you just read a couple of lines, just to stay in Torah on a on a regular basis, is transformational. And um, you know, Rabbi uh, Moshe Wolfson uh, Shlita, you know, gave an example about amuna about faith. Um, A lot of people think that they have amuna. Or they don't have a Muna, But let's talk about someone who says that they have faith. You see, he, he gives the example. He says, imagine you ask someone, did you have breakfast? And they said, oh, I had breakfast yesterday. Like, what does that have to do with anything? If you had breakfast yesterday, right. <laughs> it's, it's meaningless, essentially. <laughs> you see, that's the same thing with a Muna, with faith. Faith has to be renewed every single day. And what so many people, even religious people, they make a a tragic mistake, tragic, tragic mistake, where they think faith is like a couch. Like, yeah, I got a couch at some point in my life. I got a couch. It's in my living room. There's my couch. I, I don't buy a couch every day. I have a couch. But a couch is not faith. And faith is not a couch. So the primary way to instill and reinstill and live with Amuna, The formula, if you will, is Torah study. Is Torah study. And just to make the point just even stronger, our sages teach in many different places, if you leave the Torah for one day, it leaves you for two days. Wow. So from there, you see that there's a very quick silver aspect to Torah study that has to be grabbed and regularly held
0: onto. Yeah. A few more questions. I know we're kind of running out of time, but a few more things I'd like to sort of pick your brain about. I know that you were one of the founders of the Happy Minion, which I'm guessing right, in LA, I'm guessing that was uh, somewhat to recreate or to continue the legacy of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach. Can you yes. tell me, tell me a little bit about what was kind of your your dream and your vision with that?
1: Well, I have to give credit to Stewie Wax. He was the the, the, the founder of it, and and he really started it. Um, but uh, the, the idea is that, you know, you don't just keep Shabbos, you celebrate Shabbos, singing and dancing and through joy. And, you know, you, you can go to the Happy Minion on Friday nights and Oftentimes, it's it resembles the the best wedding you've ever been to in terms of the joy of the dancing and the intensity of the dancing. I mean, it's it's amazing. It's, It's amazing. And it's a it's a place where no one cares what you look like or how you're dressed. I mean, I've heard so many people say, independent of each other over the years, I never feel judged here.
0: Wow.
1: And so, and you see all sorts of different people there, from people who are walking into shul for the first time to people in black hats or strimals, that it's really truly the complete spectrum of the Jewish people. Even non Jews will show up, and, and, and there's a sense of genuine unity.
0: I love that. I love that. Okay. Fine This is my final question, and then I will let you go. Uh, then this this is just a very, very general question. We've spoken a lot about joy and laughter during the month of Adar. You mentioned now again about the happy happy minion, it's called the Happy Minion and the singing and the dancing. If you could share. Just your overall, what, how you see that because people do struggle, we definitely are at a time that people are, you know, whether it's COVID or anxiety or just general mental health, people like being happy, being joyous is a struggle. So if you can share one message or one or cover, however you'd like to answer, but an idea with our listeners as to something to keep in mind as they go about their day that will keep them smiling, that will keep them joyous. What what would that message be?
1: Well, I'm going to just tell you the very end of a very long story. Okay, so I'm just going to skip to the very end of it. And it's a Hasidic story involving the Noam Elimelech, who is one of our our greatest and holiest siddiqim, And his students were beyond, beyond holy. One of his students was the Choz of Lublin, the seer of Lublin, who was one of also the greatest Hasidic masters. And there was a couple that went through a tremendous hardship and was very, very poor. And the person in the story almost gets beaten to death, um, is beaten almost to death. And everything turns around because of the advice that the Noam Elimelech gives him. And the couple grows rich because of this same advice that not only saves his life, but they grow rich from it. And they realize at a certain point, you know, we never went to the Noam Elimelch to thank him. So they go to the Noam Elimelch, and Reb Shlomo heard this story from the chief rabbi of Tehran, oh. who was a Belzer Hasid. How can that be, right? Who told him this story when Reb Shlomo was in Lakewood? And he told Reb Shlomo that when you tell someone this story, and again, I'm just skipping to the very end of it. You have to hold their hand when you tell this story, because the lesson of it is so intimate, essentially. And they thank the Noam Elimelech, and he turns to the Chose of Lublin. The Chose of Lublin had given advice to this person that his life was severely in danger. And it turns out that the Chose of Lublin was right. But the Noam Elimelech gave him advice beyond that, right? And this is how the story ends. When when you see that there was a happy ending, the Noam Elimelech turns to his student, the Chos of Lublin, and he says to him, you saw far, but I saw farther you saw the bad time that was coming, but I saw the good time after the bad time. And so that's what I would leave everyone with. The idea that, you know, maybe there's a bad time. Maybe there is a bad time. And bad times are real. But you have to be able to see with the eyes of the normally mouth, you have to be able to see the good time that's after the bad time, and that's also coming. Wow,
0: David, this was so incredible! It was so wonderful getting to know you and getting to hear your story and your Torah. Where could
1: people hear more of you? Oh, um, so I, I I do a a podcast which I post uh, every Sunday uh, for many years now, and you can find that podcast on, on all sorts of um, uh, podcasting channels, on Spotify, on all sorts of things. It's called "Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World," and um, and there's a nice thing if you if you if you go to my website, which is livingwithgod.org, livingwithgod.god.org. Um, you can subscribe and it will be mailed to you every week, but you'll also get an invitation uh, to join the live broadcast of the podcast, which is every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Los Angeles time. So that's PST. And what's nice about that is afterwards, we have a discussion, all the people on the, who, who attend and it's on Zoom. And the, the community that's formed around the, the podcast is very, very special. Um, and people ask questions and they share insights after the talks. And, um, and it, it's very nice. So Everyone's invited to, to listen on however they hear podcasts or to subscribe and to get it sent to them or to... Uh, or to attend live Sunday mornings.
0: I've been listening to it, and I have loved it very much. The All of the ideas that you shared are so beautiful. The connections, all of the ideas woven in. Uh, and it really is, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure listening to you today, and it's a pleasure listening to your podcast. I love it, and I highly recommend it to everyone here listening. So thank you, David. Thank you so much for your time today. I really, really enjoyed this.
1: Absolutely. Thank you again for asking
0: Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you'll subscribe to the podcast and you can always go to com for more great content and resources and to connect directly with me.